Good morning, Living Word Baptist Church. And good morning to everyone watching on Facebook. We hope that you have are having a great morning already, worshiping the Lord. I'd like to dismiss the children to Children's Church. So if you're a children, have fun in Children's Church. God bless you. Yeah, I better get my glasses on so I can see my sermon because I don't have it memorized exactly. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning to worship you, Lord, to, to learn more about you, Lord, to glorify you, to advance your kingdom in the small way that, that we can. In Christ's name, amen. Now this is, this morning, this is uh, the fifth sermon in the series I'm doing on the Old Testament. Now, are you going to get a sixth sermon next week? I don't know. Maybe. You're going to get a sermon, but I don't know if it's going to be in this vein. But we're going to, we're looking at Second Chronicles uh, chapter 29, restoration. Restoration, that's something that we all need all the time. Restoration. The sermon today, like I said, is about restoration. Now you may, you may know this and you may not know this, but uh, our church is part of something called the Restoration Movement. <clears throat> now we don't have an official uh, certificate or anything like that that says that we are, but we are because uh, that means that our church was started by people who wanted to uh, create the church or restore uh, or be part of a church that is set forth as it is in the New Testament, in Acts. Patterned under, uh, you know, by those uh, instructions. So many churches today have thrown that out. They do whatever they want to do. Now, when I agreed to uh, <clears throat> be the founding pastor of this church, I let, it know very, I let everyone know we are going to follow those guidelines in Acts or I will not be a part of the church. Just that simple. And if this church ever starts straying from that, I will say adios. But I don't believe this church will ever do that. we got some good, solid, Bible-believing Christians in this church, and I appreciate that very much. Now, this movement, if you want to call it a movement, started, believe it or not, Shortly after the American Revolution. That's how long it's been going on. Christians in several states were, became dissatisfied with denominational boundaries and different things that they saw as uh, not biblical. And so they started a movement to restore the church, to try to get the church back to uh, its original intent. <clears throat> you know, the apostles... Had it right. Amen. You know, they have a saying you probably heard uh, don't recreate the wheel. <laughs> or if it's working, uh, leave it alone. If it's not broke, don't fix it. So that's, that's where we are. That simple New Testament pattern is what we seek here at Living Word Baptist Church and all that we do, all that we attempt to do. The church. <clears throat> 
is always in need of restoration. Our families are in need of restoration. Our, uh, we personally are in need of restoration. We get tired. We make mistakes. We backslide. Everyone tends to drift away from a close connection to God. And with the daily pressures and so forth that are on people, that's easy to do. You can see that. You start getting concerned about this thing or that thing or this family member that's sick or something else. I like to use this analogy. And this uh, actually not written in my sermon. It just came to me while I was praying and reviewing things in my office before I came out here. Uh, it's kind of like driving a car. You know, most of the people in here drive a car. Those young folks who don't drive it yet are wanting to learn how to drive a car. Right, Adrian? <laughs> and so, what happens when you're driving? You have constant course corrections, right? You got your hands on the steering wheel. You're making that car go where it needs to go. And if you don't do that, you cross over the center line, you have an accident with someone else coming the other way, or you run off into the ditch. And our lives can get into the ditch pretty easy if we're not careful. The church can get off into the ditch pretty easy if you're not careful. So we're trying to uh, avoid that as much as possible. Here's the good news. God is in the business of restoration. Did you know that? God is in the business of restoration. You know, today's story in the Old Testament is about a king who brought restoration to Israel. You know, Hezekiah gets credit for bringing restoration to Israel, but really, it was God who brought the restoration. He used Hezekiah as his servant. But Hezekiah was willing, wasn't he? Hezekiah was the one who God used to restore Israel. And we're going to look at three lessons that we can learn from this story. The first is, your past does not determine your future. Unless unless you let it. (laughs) Hezekiah was the 13th king of Judea. He began his reign around 728 B.C. Before Hezekiah's day, uh, 200 years before, Solomon had built and dedicated the temple. Now Hezekiah's father had come along and undone everything. Hezekiah was the son of the worst, maybe not the worst, but definitely in the top three worst (laughs) kings of Israel. He was way up there. King Ahaz, he ruled for only 16 years. And I believe he only ruled for 16 years because God got sick and tired of him and removed him. But it was enough time for him to close the doors of the temple. It was enough time for him to lead Israel into participating in the pagan practices of the peoples that surrounded him. It even included human sacrifice. In fact, 2 Chronicles 28.3 says he sacrificed his own children in the idolatrous fires. Let's read that. And he made offerings in the valley of the son of Hinnom and burned his sons 
as an offering according to the abominations of the nation whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. I cannot imagine a more horrific or evil action than the sacrifice in your own children. It's, it's, I, I can't wrap my mind around that. You know what struck me though when I was writing this was there's really no difference between this and the abomination of abortion. What's the difference? You're still murdering your own children. And nowadays, uh, if the Democrats had their way, you would be able to kill a kid anytime you wanted to. Up to a year old. Do you know that? It's incredibly evil. Abortion's an incredibly evil thing. Now, this is not about abortion, so I'm going to get off of that bandwagon for a minute, but Ahaz was so bad that when he died, you know, they didn't even bury him with the other kings. Now, he's not good enough to even be buried among the other kings of Israel. Scripture sums up his life by saying he gave himself over to every kind of wickedness. Every kind of wickedness. Now, if you believe the Scripture, when it says every, that means there ain't any bad thing that you can think of that he didn't do or support. Listen, this describes America today, folks. Yes, sir. This describes the United States of America. Amen. We should be sad about that. We should be fighting against that. And I'm going to tell you something. There's two, one of two things is going to happen to the United States of America. Here it is. God is going to restore it like he did Israel. And I'm praying for that. Or he's going to destroy it. Like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Because God will not tolerate wickedness forever. And the only reason the United States is still has not been brought to its knees is because of the Christians in the country. Save for the righteous ones. And the wicked out there don't even know it or wouldn't acknowledge it if they did. Take us out of the equation, the United States is gone. God's not going to let wickedness and evil go on forever. It's going to be punished. Hezekiah, we'll get back to Hezekiah now, was only 25 years old when he became king. And this is how the scripture summed up Hezekiah. We talked about how he summed up his father. Now let's see what the scripture says about Hezekiah. Verse 2. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that David his father had done. Wow. Wouldn't you like for God to say, He did what was right in my eyes. Amen. Amen. I only do that occasionally. See, it didn't say... That occasionally Hezekiah did what was right in God's eyes, did it? It said he did what was right in God's eyes. He wasn't a part-time believer. He wasn't a sometime Christian. We have those among us. Now how did a, a father like Ahaz produce a son like Hezekiah? Think about that. 
Evidently, from a young age, Hezekiah rejected this paganism. You know, maybe he had, a, maybe he had his own personal Torah and he, he knew, because he was a king's son, he could easily have I mean, that was an expensive thing to have back then, and mostly only the priest had it. But he was a prince, so he probably had access to it, or had one, and he probably read it. Because Hezekiah chose to follow the Lord, God strengthened him. Interestingly, the name Hezekiah, you know what it means? The Lord strengthens. Now, when his father or mother named him, probably the father, because that's who usually did it, but uh, he probably didn't, maybe didn't even come to mind. He just liked the name Hezekiah. Sounds good. I'm going to go with Hezekiah. But God knew. Now, there's an important lesson here. Hezekiah's recent family heritage, you know, I'm not going to say his entire family heritage because there were some good kings in his heritage like David and Solomon and some others. But in his recent family heritage, is about as bad as it gets. But his background did not determine his future. God determined his future. Look at Revelation 22.17. The Spirit and the bride say, Come. And let <clears throat> excuse me, the one who hears say come, and let the one who is thirsty come, let the one who desires take the water of life without price. It's free. You can't buy it. You see? In this case, Ahaz was not willing, but Hezekiah was willing. We see it all the time. We see it in children like Hezekiah who grow up to be the opposite of their parents. Maybe their parents were drunkards or dope addicts or you name it. Atheists. And we see children grow up to be the opposite of that. And you can spin that around. You see uh, parents, who, uh, children who come from a good home, their families, their, their parents are Christians, they've taken good care of them, they've done all the right things as parents, and the children go out and throw their life away. See it all the time. So, and then you have, so you've got two or three kids or four kids or six kids or however many you have, and then they're all raised the same, and then you've got some of them who grow up and follow the Lord, some of them who reject it, some of them who do the right thing, some of them do constantly the wrong thing. But your past does not need to determine your future. It's your choice what determines your future in some ways. God calls you. You need to answer it. When it comes to following Jesus, will you or won't you? God said, whosoever will. The invitation to choose and follow Him is there. It's your choice. And your past won't hold you back when you say yes to the calling of the Holy Spirit. God will make a way for that to happen. Hezekiah didn't let his family past hold him back. His recent past. See, he went, he saw what his father was, but he knew what David was. And Solomon. He said, I'm going back to my great, 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 whatever, grandfather. See, sometimes grandfathers have good influences on children. 
I think all the time. <laughs> now that I'm a grandfather. Okay, verse 3 says, In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. This shows how bad it was when Hezekiah came, uh, took, took power, became king, because even the, the doors of the temple were boarded up. You weren't even allowed to go in the temple. It's boarded up. His first step was to open the doors and then inspect the inside, see what, what shape it was in, what had to be done to restore it. And it wasn't a pretty picture. Now the second lesson is <clears throat> you can cast out the past. Let's look at uh, verses 4 through 6. He brought in the priests and the Levites and assembled them in the uh, square on the east and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now consecrate yourself and consecrate the house of the Lord, the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. For your fathers have been unfaithful and have done what was evil in the sight of our Lord of the Lord our God. They have forsaken him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. That's pretty straightforward statement, isn't it? Our ancestors, your fathers have done this. Now we're going to straighten this out. This is a mess. This is a mess. This is an abomination of God. We're going to fix it. The temple was piled up with junk. And it was no easy job for the Levites to cast out the past or take out the trash, if you will. And verses 16 and 17 says that it took them 16 days to clean out the temple. That's a lot of garbage. <laughs> That's a lot of garbage, folks. 16 days. We could probably clean this place out in 16 minutes. I don't know. All right. <clears throat> Let's read those verses. <clears throat> Starting at verse 16. The priest went into the inner part of the house of the Lord to cleanse it and brought out all the uncleanness that they found in the temple of the Lord into the court of the house of the Lord. And the Levites took it and carried it out to the brook of Kidron. They began to consecrate... <clears throat> on the first day of the month, and on the eighth day of the month, they came to the vestibule of the Lord. Then for eight days they consecrated the house of the Lord, and on the sixteenth day of the first month, they finished. That was a long process, but they worked on it. It's easy for churches to accumulate a great deal of religious rubbish. It's easy. We don't know how to throw stuff away. Some people never throw anything away. Might need that someday. I'm going to tell you something. I think that we only have one person in here, my mom, who lived through the Great Depression. But if you find people like her who lived through the Great Depression, they don't ever want to throw anything away. I might need that. I might need to eat that someday. I mean, I don't... But, they're, you know, but they learn from not having, you see. So, but that's not a bad thing. I mean, that's just what they went through. So, but the bigger problem is the spiritual stuff that can pile up and get in the way. 
the spiritual stuff. I'll tell you, there was a book that I had to read while I was in uh, seminary. It was, it was called Simple Church by Tom Rainier. That's a, it was a good book. Easy read. But this book called for getting rid of clutter and focusing on what the church is really here for. I can recommend that book to you if you want to read it. It's pretty good. Cleaning out the rubbish. Not just physical stuff, but spiritual rubbish that's infecting churches today. Now, there's a natural propensity to want to do new things in church. You see it all the time. Hey, this is the newest thing, man. Let's do this. I remember when bus ministries were a big thing back in the 70s. Everybody's got to have a bus ministry. I was on board with that. I drove the bus. <laughs> we love the idea of being on the cutting edge and doing things in a fresh way. As a trained engineer, I like the cutting edge. What's the latest, greatest thing? How can we do this better, faster, cheaper? But that's not always a good thing, by the way. If churches keeps adding, you know, if a church keeps adding new activities and never get rid of anything else, because see, once you kind of kind of vote something in in a church, here's here's how the church is like the U.S. government. When a program is passed and it becomes a law, it's impossible almost to get rid of it. And the church is the same way. When a program gets passed by the congregation and we start doing it, it's almost impossible to get rid of it. And when you do, somebody gets their feelings hurt and says, well, I'm just leaving. I'm going to pick up my toys and go home. And I'm going to take as many people with me as I can. And the ones I can't, I'm going to badmouth them the rest of the time. That's not Christian folks. The church keeps adding stuff and they never get rid of anything. Things get clogged up, you know, uh, both physically and emotionally and spiritually especially. Some, I've seen people who are so wrapped up on one program that a church has that they can't see anything else. They don't want to participate in anything else. They don't want to do anything else. You know, that's all they, that's it. What should be simple, which is what the church is supposed to be doing, gets complicated. It gets so complicated, we lose sight of what the reality is, what we're supposed to be doing. <clears throat> Most churches need to do some cleansing of their temple. We need to remember our simple purpose as a church. What is our purpose of a church? I'm going to tell you. We need restoration of the things that a church is meant to do. Now, if you object to any of these, see me afterwards. Here it is. Prayer. Church is supposed to be a praying. We are supposed to be a praying church. We're supposed to be talking to God. Are we God's children or not? How often do you talk to your parents? Well, God's a much greater parent than your mom or dad. Thank you. Amen. How about this? Study of God's Word. Simple, isn't it? Read the, read the Word and study it. Preaching. Some of us have been called to preach, even if we didn't want to be. Now, it's not so bad. Yeah, I'm glad y'all suffered through me for the first two or three years while I learned how to preach. 
I can remember, this is not in my sermon, but I can remember probably the first decent sermon I delivered. Stan comes up here, and, he, and you know what? I don't know if you remember this, Stan. He says, I think we have a preacher now. <laughs> you get to keep your job one more week, Pastor. Ain't that what you said, Stan? So far, so good. So far, so good. So far, so good. Teaching. Teaching. We got some good, solid, scriptural teachers in this church. I'm thinking of Mike and Stan specifically. Not that anybody else don't, don't qualify. I'm just saying that y'all are the ones doing the teaching right now. Fellowship. Stephanie has the gift of fellowship. If you enjoyed that meal last week, the turkey and dressing and so forth. But she's very good at that. And you know, as a colonel's wife, she used to be, a, you know she was married to a colonel? <laughs> That's me. We had, you know, you're expected to entertain sometimes. Your bosses and your subordinates and superiors. She always, everybody always like, Wow, that was that was great. You know, that was that was really enjoyable. Stephanie always, you know, she could, as they say down south, she could put on a dog. <laughs> she had to give fellowship. But when we have fellowship here, we actually have fellowship all the time, you know. But in the mornings and on Saturday uh, breakfast and you know and all that. And, and on Wednesdays, every Wednesday, it's good fellowship. Talk. And you know what? A lot of times I hear conversations and I'm, all right, I've been spying on you. And I have found out 